0: Welcome to After the Buzzer. I am Ian Busby. Today on the show, it's going to be a big breakdown of what's happening in the CFL. Feels like a long time since we talked to you, but it's only been a week and a day. A lot has changed. The Stampeder's win in Regina causes a lot of Rough Rider angst among the fan base, among the media there. Um, the win in well, for the Toronto Argonauts and the win for the Montreal Alouettes causes some interesting things out wet or sorry out east, and the injury to Vernon Adams Jr. kind of throws a wrench into the plans. Could there be a crossover in the CFL this year? We kind of believe that they wouldn't be, with the fewer number of games. But now that might not be the case, with Montreal suffering a quarterback injury, and uh, the tightness of the standings right now. It's uh, all very interesting. Danny and I get into it with. And we talk about the what I described as a bit of a tire fire in Edmonton with their change in quarterback and what will be the future hold with them, uh, who might be the next starting or sorry, GM and head coach. I think I've got a good idea as to who will be the ideal replacement. Maybe not to the Edmonton fans liking, but a familiar name, uh, all the same. We are going to roll right into it right now. Uh, A little bit longer today, but we have a lot to discuss. So uh, without further ado, here's Danny and I. Okay, so the CFL has gotten very interesting this past week. Uh, It was week 10 in the CFL, which featured five games. Uh, Aren't you glad we're kind of done with these midweek games for a little bit? But uh, what's the biggest story right now? Montreal is losing their quarterback for six weeks, which could put a wrench in their plans for being in the playoff race. The Stamps uh, come up with a second big win against the Rough Riders, and they look good. Uh, Edmonton is a tire fire. Um, They're benching their highest paid player uh, this week. Uh, And uh, Angst in Saskatchewan over their offense, which – it seems to me, maybe we'll start there because all the Yanks in Saskatchewan about their terrible offense, it has to do, can we give the Calgary Stampeders defense some credit? Because for two weeks, they've been facing the Calgary Stampeders defense. And if it's a defense that looks good, your offense is going to look bad. It's kind of like the old adage. and I used to come out of practice or training camp. It was like, one set of coaches is going to be upset today. Either the, the defense looked good and the offense sucked or the offense was great and the defense is reeling. So, uh, which is it, Danny? I think you have a – I'm leading you th- this way because I know that you think the Calgary Stampeder's defense is playing excellent right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, I wrote it last week, right? Like, I I, <laughs> I think that this – ever since we saw this sort of defensive line start start breaking through and actually start putting opposing quarterbacks under pressure, I mean, it's just this DB group is, is terrific in coverage. Um, they're not getting the turnovers right now, um, but – Otherwise, I mean, they're, they're very good, and I still think, honestly, Sankey and uh, Thurman in the middle at linebacker are as good a duo as there are in the entire CFL. So, I mean, I think you have to start looking at this and saying that really the two best defenses, three best defenses in the league, and I think the numbers back this up, are the Ticats, the Bombers, and the Stampeders, and they deserve to be in that conversation. Um the stamps have allowed more points. A lot of that has been off turnovers. So, I mean, I, I think that we've been saying from the start. I, I sort of think that the Stampeder's offense is the problem here, not the defense or the special teams. And I think that was especially true um, against the Riders. I mean, they like they kept them out of the end zone. This the Stampeder's defense has allowed two touchdowns in four games. Um, they're they're very good. And uh, I will say, I mean, particularly that like I, I walked away from that game. I just thought this Riders team has no shot. They like that offensive line was eaten alive by the Stampeders. I mean, Mike Rose was just <laughs> dominating. Um, it was, and I'm sorry, you need an O-line to win in the playoffs. And I don't think the Riders have it. So that would be my concern. But then the Stampeders defense was good enough to take advantage of it. So, um, look, I, I I don't have all the numbers right in front of me, but uh, I know what I saw with my eyes. And um, that's two games in a row that this Stampeders defense is. Done everything you could ask for, and uh, this time Cody Fitzgerald didn't throw his receivers under the bus. So this time we actually get to talk about um, about the defense, anyway.
0: <laughs> right? So that uh, that was the interesting storyline with that, and then they went out and signed what you thought was the best free agent receiver out there in Duke Williams. Uh, can he spark something with them? Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean you got you got Duke, and then you get Shack back. I mean their their receiving core is about to get a lot better. There's no question. I still think you need to give your quarterback time, and that O-line is going to be a problem. Um, and, I mean, yeah, those guys are going to make a difference. I, I think Cody Fajardo, we're seeing him regress a little bit from being that sort of MOP candidate back into being a good quarterback, but you know, maybe not Bo by mitchell in 2016, like, um, and, and maybe not an elite, elite, elite quarterback, but he should have time to grow. He's only in his second season. I'm not writing off Cody Fajardo, but no. the problem is, like it, I hate doing this because I always do. I've said this to you so many times, but end of the season, we always look at the team that won the Grey Cup, and we're like, "You win in the trenches. It's the O line and the D line, and if you don't have one of them, I don't think you're beating a Winnipeg or potentially a Calgary in the playoffs."
0: Well, and this wasn't something that would have snuck up on the Riders because when Brendan Lebat retired or took a season off or whatever he's doing before the season, they knew that they were going to have some problems especially in the interior of that line because he was a steady force for many many years there and they figured that this was going to be a problem and sure enough it is like and as you said any quarterback can be great you have like even Patrick Mahomes is susceptible to bad offensive line play and we saw that in the Super Bowl so if you don't have any time you're you're you better design some some stuff to get the ball out of his hands immediately and it doesn't feel like that's what the riders are doing they're trying to they we're trying to listen to Cody Fajardo and try to go deep. Okay, well, that's you. You got to be able to run a high efficiency, short yardage offense if the the pressure is too too much all the time, right?
1: Completely. With all that being said, and I don't know if this is where we break this down, but I mean, at some point we have to. So I left that game, and I went had a drink with Jamie Nye. I had a, drink a couple other media guys. Um, nothing crazy. Saw Anderson Cooper. As we walked over, yeah, that's.
0: Uh, I was going to ask you about that. Anderson Cooper in Saskatchewan. He's probably there for some story about uh, how Canada sucks, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just, well,
1: I mean, yeah. I mean, our treatment of indigenous populations does suck, and I uh, yeah. understand because that's what he's there for. I but, didn't tweet it out because I don't tweet about celebrities, but. Yeah. Um,
0: but oddly uh, enough, the weirdest celebrities I've seen have been in Regina for, uh, Rough Rider Stampede or games. It's been. Yeah, years. I
1: mean. If anyone is asking, that man is every bit as handsome in real life as you would expect. <laughs> uh, <he's, laughs> Silver fox, eh? Yeah, well, it was very funny. Just like we walked by the restaurant, and it's like your eyes are just immediately drawn. Like probably part part of that is that you recognize him, but like he's just a very striking human being.
0: Not You probably that. saw him sitting down. He's not very tall, though, right? No, we
1: saw him sitting down, but like yeah. we both just kind of shrugged and were like, hey, "It's Cooper." I'd heard that he was in town, so. Um, but yeah. So, anyways, there. The people, I mean, the reaction to Saskatchewan, from what I was was told, because Jamie's obviously on the post game, was just like panic, yeah. right? Um, and people were like, "Well, do you think Calgary can can get second place?" I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to look at the Rough Riders' upcoming schedule, they have they're five and four. The Stamps are four and five. Yes, the Riders play the Stampeders head to head on Saturday, October 23rd. They then yeah. have the Alouettes without Vernon Adams Jr. Yeah, two games against the Elks. And then yeah. a end-of-season game against the Ticats. Let us assume that the Alouettes and the Riders are, are, are gimme. So that's three wins. That gets them to eight wins. Yep. Yeah. Even if they lose to the Stampeders and the Cats, the Stamps the stamps can run the table and get to nine wins. But chances are you're looking at seven or eight. Yeah. It's it's almost impossible for – I mean, if you get the tiebreaker, but that means you have to beat the Riders and you have to win the two Lions games. It's the only chance that the Stampeders have of getting to second. And it, to be honest, maybe the only chance that they have of getting to third is winning right. those games.
0: And the thing is, you, you don't know that BC can't sneak up in there and and do some things too because they've got a game against the Elks. You would believe they're playing the Elks coming off two days rest. So uh, that'll be their final game of the year. Um, and they've, they've got uh, Hamilton as well and... Uh, another game against Toronto. So, uh, yeah. It, and there's it also,
1: a lot of this stuff, like when you start doing it, depends on what you think of Hamilton and Toronto, right? Yes. Uh, like the Stamps have two against the Lions, one against the Riders. Let's, uh, let's say that those are must-win. Their other yeah. two games are one against the Red Blocks at the end of October, and then one against a Bombers team that is going to be so far ahead of the pack by the time this ends.
0: Yes. Um, <laughs> and
1: and they are going to be resting everybody. Then, so I'm just saying that the path to catching those teams for the Stampeders, like, you basically need to win all three of those two against the Lions and the one against the Riders, and then, like, you should win the other two. So it's possible that they have to run the table. The more interesting thing in all of this is now that Vernon Adams is done, the Alouettes are at are four and four, I believe. Yes. They have six games left. They have... Lost Vernon Adams Jr. so if you're the Stamps, you have to finish ahead of them. They've got the Red Blacks this coming Saturday. I'll give them that win, even though I don't necessarily know if I believe it because I think the Red Blacks are incrementally improving and played them tight. And yeah. you got yeah. But you're so Red,
0: Red Blacks are or what you would term or Bill Simmons would call frisky. It's exactly. a frisky, frisky team. You're not really sure what you're going to get. You're going to get solid effort out of that defense and special teams. That's for sure. The offense exactly. more
1: and yep. let's just admit that here, like what we're doing is we're picking who you would naturally pick to win any one of these games. We're not looking at the odds, we're not looking at anything like that, but we're trying to figure yep. out how many wins do we think the LOS We're going to give them the Red Blacks, so that gets them to five against the Argos without Vernon Adams Jr. No, you're stuck at five against the Riders. No, you're stuck at five against two against the Bombers. No, you're stuck at five. One against the Red Blacks to end off the season, you get to six. So hypothetically. The Alouettes are finishing with six wins. At which point, the Stamps only need to get to seven to get the crossover.
0: Right. So that's going three and two in yes. the last five.
1: That's where that's the like most obvious path if everything goes according to plan. Um, I think the Stamps will go three and two down the stretch. I think like they're. I, I think they could go four and one. I think to be honest, I think they could go five and zero.
0: Um, Nothing's really out of the realm of possibility right now. It's. Uh, They've, they've the way they've looked in the last two weeks against Saskatchewan, um, even with Bo leaving that first win and then coming back the next week and looking like he's he dropped that in the bread basket on the first play of the game, and then you're like, okay, well, <laughs> how did the Riders not be ready for this? They just played them. I know.
1: It was crazy. <laughs> well, and ultimately, like Bo did throw for almost 300 yards. The the interceptions are still a concern, um, and they have to be. I mean, he's throwing too many. The turnovers are a concern for the Stampeders team. They're just not winning the turnover battle, and that's part of how you win football games at every level. Um, but other than the interception, Bo looked better. Um, I'm not saying he looked like the best quarterback he's ever looked, but he's he's getting back, it appears, yeah. to, to what you want. And if they get Kamar Jordan back, I just think there's the Stampeders are, are growing and getting better. That's what Craig Dickinson said. He said the Stampeders are getting better. The riders are staying the same that's the issue but um yeah I, I think that there's a at this point i saw somewhere not including the crossover the odds of the stamps the stamps are like 48 percent to make the playoffs that is because as much as they have an opportunity by beating having the lions and riders ahead of them a loss to either of those two teams just bottoms out your chances
0: <laughs> yes absolutely uh, well, throwing another curveball in right now, and you broke the news today that Jake Mayer is in COVID protocols. That doesn't really mean he's out for this game against the uh, the Lions this week, but it certainly doesn't help. Um, it doesn't by- really mean anything. Like we don't know
1: what it means. Um, so I will put on my like professional reporter voice. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, all we know is that he is in COVID protocol. The last couple times the players have been in COVID car- protocol for the Stamps, I have been like informed what was going on, whether that it was normally contact tracing or whatever. I haven't heard anything from the Stamps, so I genuinely don't know what the deal is here. Um, but, I mean, on, on every level, I mean, it means you're probably dressing Michael O'Connor, just in case. Um, And, yeah, I mean, Jake Mayer wasn't practicing today. You need Jake Mayer. We know enough about Bo that the injury is a possibility in every game.
0: Yeah. Um, well, and, and you want someone else taking that short yardage and uh, Mayor's looked good doing that this year. So um, it definitely is a an element that you don't want to, to have to deal with if you don't have to, right?
1: Yeah, and it's weird. It's across sports, right? Like we just don't know what COVID protocol means. And I, I guess we don't have to. I guess right. it is like we don't know if a player has the flu. Um, but yeah, I will say that I shouldn't say this because it, it suggests that people connect dots that aren't necessarily there but in the past i have been given more information than i haven't given about jake mayer's situation
0: in terms right. of the, yeah, well and if and if you look at it you're probably thinking well is he not has he not been vaccinated does this mean that he's got to do all this um like go through testing and all all that kind of stuff i don't know um you and i are both vaccine advocates so we're we know that if like we get exposed and we haven't been it's like it's it's not that 100 a big deal if we don't show symptoms we're not really worried about it right so it, it could come down to something like that and the vaccination status of players isn't known well uh, we know that certain teams aren't up to their 100 nobody has announced that they're up to 100 level which has happened in other sports uh with more,
1: believe me they would announce it
0: yeah they were there. Yeah. And, you know, in other sports where they have more money behind it, they have more emphasis and they more incentive to make people convince the dissenters, basically, that uh, this is in their best interest. You know, just uh, NBA is going through it right now, obviously. But uh, BC having their week off. And I I found that interesting that Stamps tweeted out a stat that they are 14 and 2 since 2014 playing a team coming off a bye they are also one of the best teams when they come off a bye so uh, <laughs> that what do you figure that is is that that's kind of weird uh it's and they're gonna face teams coming off a bye for the next two straight weeks. the next two i games. absolutely
1: love dave dickinson's response when he was asked about this because again they are when they played the previous week and the, their opponent is coming off a bye they're 14 and one in their last that's insane Yes. And we asked Dave, and he was like, he was like, I mean, what it is is we've been an excellent team for many, many years. We, yes. know, like we haven't lost many games.
0: <laughs> yeah, they don't lose games. So it doesn't really yeah. yeah.
1: That's sort of it, is that like I you could find a lot of stats for the Stan Peters where it's just like between 2016 or 2015 yeah. and 2019, like they generally only lost between two and three games a year. Well, um
0: and, and that's the thing with Bo Bo Levi Mitchell's quarterback start record is like when he starts, they win 80% of the games. I'm like, yeah, they, they just win 80% of the games. Was it all him? No. Was it, did he contribute? Of course, but it's, you know, and the, they're excellent coming off a buy too. So uh, I remember back when, I think the, when John Huffnagel took over in 2008, they went on a 12 or 13 game win streak on coming off a buy and then winning. And I asked him like, do you feel like you're? It's coaching staff. Are you scheming up? Uh, he goes, no. I just think the players are rested and they're ready to get back at it, and we have a bit more energy coming out of the gate. And yeah, and so it. What kind of advantage it is it, when you are playing well? You certainly don't want to have a buy because you want to keep that momentum rolling, get into that routine, just play the next week, keep going. Well, I can guarantee the stamps would not want to have a buy right now. Uh, Saskatchewan probably needs a buy. Yeah, have their, you know, mm-hmm. this will stick in their craw for their time off, and they'll come back and they'll be ready to I mean, go again. Uh,
1: we should also say that two weeks ago, when the St. Peters did have a buy, they clearly needed a buy. Yes, they needed, and I, I mean, Dave has. Said that was this, after the Hamilton game, right? It was after the Hamilton game, and Dave has like, I mean, Dave is always like he wants to get his coaches credit. That's part of his mo. But he said he was like, we sat down and it was basically like, let's figure out what we're doing wrong here and figure out how to use the players that we have which yeah. is like it's always I mean this is sort of a, a side tangent but it's always a funny thing when I hear like oh well this player like we criticize players for not being able to fit into a coach's system and in my opinion it's like coaches should adapt their system to yeah the players that they have as well so um so I I, I found that really interesting and I think that we saw early in the riders game I mean they just went play action in a way that they haven't gone play action in a long long time part of that was him recognizing or the, the team recognizing that the riders were going to be looking for a fast start they were going to bite on that stuff but yeah. it worked um and then you happened to in doing that throw them off and then you were like we are now going to unleash kadeem Carey. in a way that <laughs> yes. Anyone one who has been watching this team myself very much in particular has basically been begging this team to unleash Kaneem Carey. like get him 20 touches get him 20 touches you get him 20 touches and he absolutely wrecks like that was that was an unbelievable performance and it's why when i was always like i think this guy's as good as stan back i think this guy's as good as andrew harris people probably finally saw it um how how good he was
0: yeah good to good to be right right danny you you, uh you enjoy those moments when you've you've predict, correctly predicted something i know you I do. do and it's I do. because what i know i know the situation that you go through is like you see it with your own eyes and you go there they, he should be like getting more yardage than this he he's could be much more of a factor and when you see it you want confirmation and then you then it happens in a game and you're like yeah see we told you so but yeah it works, and, it works I mean, well for you
1: the thing with running backs is like I to be perfectly honest, the reason why they weren't going to him more is because they were playing from behind all the time. Yeah, and you don't generally play with your running back when you're when you're behind. So that's I mean that's like it's not that complicated. And I, I'm certainly not the only person who thought Kadim yeah. Carey was good. Todd Sailhoff showed up for one practice. Like I asked him, I needed some help on a day, um, <laughs> and he asked Dave if Kadim Carey had the potential to be an all-time Stampeders great. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: so <you> no <know. laughs> so hyperbole there right
1: <laughs> well and it was actually it was as you know as reporters like there are ways that you ask questions where you're like i'm just gonna do this and throw the person off so they have to like the answer that they normally have ready right. they can't use it was, it was a bit of a trick on his part but still i mean kadeem gary that was a star making performance and you suddenly start being like okay if they have that in their and there are, I just, I think this team's coming together. And I think this is what they promised they were going to do. And I will say, when I was having drinks, and this was, this came from a number of people in Saskatchewan, is there, like they said, they were like, man, we had the stamps on the mat and we let them get up. I can't oh, believe yeah. the riders let the stampeders back into this. And I think that's because everyone sort of knew. This was a stampede team that just needed a couple young pieces to start fitting in and admittedly they have so little room for error that if they play one bad game against the lions we may be having a different conversation about how the season goes but like the legitimate look of like oh no the stamps are back in this now yeah and that's what a decade of success gets you is that like everyone else being like oh we wanted to kill them when we had the chance
0: mm.
1: and we just didn't um so yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, and yeah. If it, those two, if it goes two wins the other way, we're looking at Saskatchewan is thinking that they still have a chance at first. So, um, and <laughs> now they're like, okay, we're in a dogfight for second. So, it's yeah. yeah um, they have
1: an easier schedule. So, like I, again, I, if someone were to ask me, I would confidently tell them that I believe that the West semifinal will be in Saskatchewan this year. I, okay. I genuinely believe they will finish second. Um, that's what that's what putting the wins together early does. It means you can afford these little slip-ups. Um, I think it would be awfully good for the confidence of that team to beat the Calgary Stampeders in two weeks' time. Right. Um, there will be nothing funnier to me, just because I I love fan bases freaking out. This has nothing to do with Saskatchewan. I just right. love when like, a passionate fan base is freaking out. And like they will freak out so hard if they lose three straight games to Calgary.
0: Well, and then they they keep adding it up, and it's like, oh, since Craig Dickinson took over, and they they've they're zero and four against Calgary, and they're you know, they seven hundred fifty winning percentage against the rest of the league. It was like, yeah, okay, well, um, it's just. Well, that, that's a rivalry. What are you going to do? It, <laughs> this, and the Stamps are always a good team. So it's not like there's ever going to be a cakewalk against them. So
1: No. And and it's the problem. Um, this is what Dave Dickinson said the Stampeders were going to be. Yeah, He said they were going to have – he said it would not be smooth sailing out the gate. And then they would start peaking at midseason and develop into being a championship team. What I think happened – was they expected to win one of those games against the Argos or lions to start the season. So I think they're about one game back of where they expected to be. Yeah. Um, But I will be honest with you. The lions lost to the riders. The last time they played. I, I struggle to see how looking at the CFL's power rankings tweeted out about a week ago, number one, Winnipeg blue bombers. No problem with that. Number two, Toronto Argonauts. Absolutely. They like, you have to, they're, they're, First in the East, they've opened up a gap. Two. Third, Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Okay. All right. I mean, he you lost you lost two in a row. Four BC Lions. I'm fine with the Lions being ranked higher than the Stampeders because they beat them the one time they played. Five Montreal Alouettes. I, I, I'm i not sure how we're, we're in this place. Six, the Calgary Stampeders. I just don't know what we're doing here. Like,
0: yeah. Well, I could, I could tell you, I clicked on a, cause there was some link bait about Jake Mayer on COVID protocol. And I c- clicked on it on three down nation. And I was like, Oh, they're just going with what you had just reported. And then, uh, then the next thing was uh, power rankings. And they're like, Stampeders are up and they're third now. <laughs>
1: so <laughs> so I, yeah. I'm not sure. I disagree. Anyone's going to think that I'm a Homer and that's fine. But yeah. I think this defense is that good. And I think the offense is is getting better. And if this offense starts turning like they had what? They had three field goals and an interception in the red zone.
0: Like Which is not in itself good, but yes, your your point is made that they had a lot of opportunities that they could have cashed in on and made yeah. it not a close game, right? They right.
1: let the riders and I mean look, if I'm gonna I gotta credit the riders D, if I'm asking people to credit the Stampeders right. be so credit to the job they did in the red zone no questions asked but like that game the only reason the Riders were in that game is the Peters let them be in that game
0: yeah yeah you got to put them away uh i think the blue bombers gave the stamps the blueprint for how to handle the bc lions uh two weeks ago when it's just like you send good pressure up the middle and you don't know who's coming on a blitz um, if you, if you can have some nice time blitzes, you can create some problems for the lions. And, uh, if lucky whitehead is not, uh, back and it doesn't sound like he's going to be hundred percent cause he tweeted out a photo of his broken hand. Um, I, I don't feel like the, the lions are going to be at their top capabilities. They're one in three at home already this season. So they don't have really hold of home field advantage there.
1: BC Lions, lost to the Riders in week one. Beat Calgary, who had no quarterback in week two. Like, literally their quarterback had one leg. Lost to the Edmonton Elks. Beat the Ottawa Red Blacks. Beat the Ottawa Red Blacks. Beat the Montreal Alouettes. I'll give you that. That's a good win. Right. Lost to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Lost to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. They have one good win this season.
0: You're correct. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move over to the situation going on in Edmonton. And I know like, why would we spend a whole lot of time talking about the, what what I think is the worst team in the league right now, but the ramifications of just actually benching Trevor Harris and saying he's not injured and going with, uh, Cornelius and pro cup as the two quarterbacks and not even dressing him. So, uh, he's not coming off the bench. He's not even in this game against Winnipeg. Now, you said earlier this season that Winnipeg didn't get Ottawa on their schedule, so they got uh, uh, they got a disadvantage there. They got an advantage with three games against Edmonton, and they have crushed them twice already. And they get them again, and they're going to crush them again. It's That's the easiest money game. ever. I'm just betting. I'm betting on Winnipeg to cover their spreads, and it's like easy money. I don't understand.
1: <laughs> that is the football gods repaying the Elks for. Or, or repaying the bombers for not getting to play the Red Blacks. Yeah. Um, it's also funny. Like, I believe that the Elks are the worst team in the CFL, and part of that is like the Red Blacks look like a bad team that's trying, whereas mm. the Elk team, Elks team, just looks like a bunch of guys who don't want to be there. Mm. Um, and I mean, I would, I would love to try to dig in into what's going on with Trevor Harris. Uh, is you know, you, you hear things about him and Ellingson and you know, being separate from the rest of the team a little bit, but I have no idea if that's true. I'm not reporting anything, but like you hear these rumors, um, that team is a disaster. That team needs to be torn down from the top down. Um like it's it's the worst. And yeah, benching your top paid player
0: when he's a, still healthy and yeah, it was like
1: that's not just a message. That is literally like that's giving up our. I don't know if Trevor Harris can play for the Edmonton Oaks again after that happened.
0: Yeah. Um, Well, and I, you know, I asked you at the start of the year, there's always a coaching change and we, it's hard to predict it. And it was, it's now that we're through the mid part of the season, it's like, it's easy to see where the, where the regime changes are going to be, but I think it's going to start way at the top. It's going to be above the GM or it's definitely going to be the GM. Brock Sunderland, I don't believe is going to last throughout this and then and then it's going to be like okay well you're starting with new regime uh, coaching change seems kind of inevitable there and you know this is a team that fired at special teams coordinator after week two had covid uh, outbreak in their locker room had to cancel a game um, it's just been thing after thing after thing with this team and and now it's like, oh, yeah. And, you know, reports that they banned Joey Moss from the locker room and just
1: like yeah. it's I not. Said, I, I sympathize with Eddie Steele. I think he did the
0: right and thing. Eddie but... Steele, yeah, that's the that was the one thing that um, and it <laughs> whenever you're criticized uh, in the media, certainly make sure that guy gets fired because then that'll teach everybody that um, everything that he said was wrong i'm just gonna do
1: a quick little public service announcement here though when you work for the radio broadcast partner and you say that you're getting fired i'm not saying eddie Steele was wrong to say it i'm not saying i'm happy he was fired i'm saying the second he said it and i'll be real that i had to go check who eddie Steele was that's no knock on him i just don't follow the edmonton like radio media that closely uh and i was like this guy's done like like
0: Yeah, he was he was a uh, decent player for the Elks or the Eskimos organization at that point a few years ago. So I, I knew him as a player and uh, I hadn't heard him much as a broadcaster. But yeah, when you're working for the, broad- you're for the team, you have, you're basically or the home broadcast. Yeah, you can't be too vocal about the home team. But he was like, what he was saying was the truth. And I think it goes back to what like you are on the independent media as much as 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 weird as it is right the team covers themselves and this is through like true throughout sports and now there's a lot of long-time journalists who've moved over and work for teams now and i gotta be honest as much as i love the writing of george johnson and ed tate i don't read their stuff anymore now that they work for the team because they just don't i don't sorry george doesn't anymore he doesn't anymore. Okay. But when he moved over to the team, I was like, I'm not going to read George Johnson's flowery prose about whatever's going on with the team. And Ed Tate has been now with the, like when he was at the free press, he was a, a brilliant uh, writer and deservedly That's in the hall. It's yeah, still a good
1: writer, but I know what you're saying.
0: There's... Yeah. And, it, but now I'm like, he's never going to give me like uh, both sides of it. It's always going to be how great the bombers are. And wow. I I just nothing against Ed. I'm like he's he's got a nice cushy gig there now, and he's doing doing well. And yeah, now it's hard to criticize the bombers right now or for the past two seasons anyway. uh, But I'm you know it was always fun when he would do a massive takedown of what the bombers were doing. Uh, So it it's just it's too bad that Eddie Steele has to be the example of what what this is but it just goes to show that that whole organization in Edmonton has just lost control of you know the professionalism the professional nature of what you would expect from the Edmonton football club
1: what was uh, once before. the the greatest organization in this league by far the example well, we all have. that is currently uh seems like the biggest shit show
0: yeah um, yeah okay. they they were the they they were the flagship for many many years and Terry Jones would remind you of this all the time that they were the flagship but he was right they were and you know Saskatchewan kind of being became the hot spot maybe Winnipeg has an argument now but yeah it's it's kind yeah. of embarrassing to see what's going on in Edmonton honestly so
1: oh, 100% uh, yeah. and again for anyone who like the Redblocks, look clearly made a mistake with the Matt Nichols thing like but like the Red Blacks are a young team that's building. Yeah, like the there's well, a difference between like like this wasn't supposed to be their year, I, and I'm I'm sure that they would admit that. Like off the record, um, you know the Red Blacks are building; they're getting some young guys in. Their O line is they clearly need a better O line, and but
0: I mean, think you can people, say that about a lot of teams though too. People,
1: there were people, and I'm not going to name names because it doesn't do me any good. But there were a lot of people picking the Elks to be in the Grey Cup this year, like. I've said this before, but like, welcome to bad predictions.
0: Um, <laughs> well, it was it was tough with a year and a half off and not really much knowledge. But it again, and I've long argued this that you know teams that are mishmashes of different parts don't always gel together. I thought Toronto was going to be the team that didn't gel, and it turned out it was kind of the Edmonton because they, they they feel like a bunch of different parts, right? Um, and I
1: think that, they, and honestly, I think that there's a lot of guys who fuck who hate the situation yeah Um, I know that and there are guys who you know I I think got hit and look they I mean we should move on but it's you know it was throwing Stafford under the bus it was um throwing Sean Lemon under the bus it was doing all this stuff that's not what professional football organizations do you thank guys for their service thank guys for the work that they put in and you move on and you keep that stuff internal um and maybe it comes out in a, a biography 10 years later but um no, huge, huge mistakes. And, like, that team could use Sean Lemon. He's second in the league in sacks mm-hmm. right now. Like,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, I think we can probably mark this down. I just feel like next year the GM and head coach of the Edmonton Elks will be Chris Jones. So I just feel like they're going to go back to the formula. So little...
1: I've had this debate so many times or, <laughs> in the last week where people are like, like, they hate him so much. Like what, <laughs> he did that yeah. Yeah, like, what he did when he left, like, there's so much anger. And it's like, but he's the only one who can possibly <laughs> fix this.
0: <laughs> he's your number one choice for fixing this problem. Like, he's going to come in and, like, I, as much as Chris Jones will run a kind of a, like, a weird operation, but he gets success. And uh, there's, like... He was, he had that Riders team playing really well when they like finished out the year, That and then he decides he's going to go to the NFL. And uh, he's, he's, he's one of these guys that he he just doesn't like what is it? He's got happy feet. He's got to move. He's always on the move. And it's like he doesn't want to be anywhere any length of time, a couple seasons, and he's pretty happy with, you know, just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go on to the next big thing. It's like, I, I, I don't know if he just likes, employing moving companies and jumping around the, the country because that's that's basically what he's done so yeah. ever since well, he I left mean, calgary like, i always get years.
1: asked people will always be like quietly they'll be like do you think dave Dickinson wants the montana job you know go back coach his alma mater like do all that and i'm like in calgary
0: for 25 years no 25.
1: <laughs> but like i'm like a i don't know b like i think not but C like he's got two kids like i'll tell you he's he's not leaving calgary until those two kids are out of out of high school, so like, yeah. as, as far yeah. as like, uh, whereas Chris Jones' family lives back home, right? So, yeah,
0: yeah. no, so, um, and yeah. yeah, he did, He just follows the money trail and the next opportunity. And I think he's just he just gets restless. I think that's what it is. He spent I think five seasons was it eight nine ten eleven with Calgary, yeah. Four seasons, right? Yeah. So I spent four seasons with Calgary and then they were, they had a great cup. They were building. They were, it looked good. And then it was just like, oh, I'm up and leaving. Going to Toronto for the same position. Although they're going to give me assistant head coach to make it a promotion. And it was like, okay, um, you didn't, yeah. Okay, fine. Leave. And then up in Toronto it was like, okay, I'm going to be head coach. And then I'm going to go to Saskatchewan and be GM and head coach. I was like we would have, yeah. All right just keep moving but that's going to be the solution in my mind
1: very funny because like there's just no one else for them like um there just doesn't appear to be anybody else i mean is there some version of mike o'Shea out there who's like looking for a head coaching job not one that's ready
0: I know I'm all all the like hot young names have been getting positions in the last few years, right? It, like I mean over and Dinwiddie and and Devon Claybrooks, you know, was the big name for a while and had a disastrous year in in You're BC. not bringing
1: playbooks into that, into that scenario.
0: No, um, you, you need a, you need a, a, a quick fix and somebody who, with who's a proven record of doing it. And it's
1: a guy I think deserves to be a head coach is Mark Killam. I think that would be a crazy job for him to take.
0: Yeah. Like, and it, it, you want to, well, you, you never take over a job that's they don't need a new head coach. If something hasn't gone wrong, but you don't want to take over a disaster. And you just you want to be able to take over something that you can like move in the right direction or a rebuild like, you know, in Ottawa, that's a rebuild. OK, that's not a bad situation. At least that wasn't like so many crazy things happening. And and you're going to have to start over with a new quarterback or a young guy. So and who knows if Taylor Cornelius is the guy for them? That's I guess that's what they want to find out in the next uh, in the next several weeks. Right. So
1: great football, man. But yeah. Trevor Harris.
0: it's not trevor harris no okay where anything else that we should cover uh that no i do
1: i will say that like i first of all i like the fight that this red blacks team has like i don't i don't want to beat up on the red blacks like i just i do think like i like the effort that they're getting and i think that like it's a credit to paul apelis that he's you know they're building something there you can see that they're building something there and i respect that um I will say I have no idea. Like, when are the tie cats going to get it together? <laughs> uh,
0: so they went how long without losing a home game, and then now they've lost two home games without in the in the last minute. Um, off, and they just got to feel like they're reeling too. I haven't really checked in with my tie cat friends much lately, but they uh, they've, they've got to feel like they're the pressures on them, and they're kind of reeling right now too.
1: Yeah, it's like they're. I mean, at some point, you are what you are. Right, I mean, at some point, like, it might not come together. Um, it, it's weird that they are where they are because they that defense is so good and like it's not like I mean you have Mazzoli back, like um, he's,
0: he's zero and four and David Watford is two and zero as a starter and it doesn't make any sense. No, makes
1: so. no sense at all. Um, and and then beyond that, like, man, Argos had a good week. Like, you and I, I'm not doing the whole "I told you so" thing here, but like you and I disagreed before the season, and the reason was. Because they'd played in Calgary, I knew a lot of the new guys in Toronto, and I was like, I was like, I know that these are not prima donnas; like they're not like these are guys who are going to come in and like do the work. And Dinwiddie knows them and all of that, but I think it's very impressive. Um, Like Chris Jones is not a bad defensive coordinator. Like
0: (laughs) no, no, I I I get that too. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Um, And and I do think the fact that like to be benching a personality as big as Charleston Hughes. That's a that's a real deal fucking head coaching move, right? Like that's like you gotta have confidence. You gotta like that's that's not a move. That's your that's a superstar in this league, an established legend. And the mm-hmm. fact that they're like, too bad, man, you're not earning your spot. Is, as far as I can tell, that's what's happening there.
0: Yeah, it that like, seems to be the case. Like, yeah. um, and I I'm not surprised that that is it's come to that. But uh, didn't we didn't we? You see him on the sidelines, and uh, he looks grizzled. And it's like, cause I think he's putting like hundred percent effort into everything that he does. So like, he's, he looks like a guy who's, you know, he's committed and he's putting in, I don't know him that well. I obviously I'm he's,
1: uh, a great guy. He's, a, he's, a, he's a professional, like he's a, he's a pro he's a pro.
0: Yeah. And, so, and yeah, you would have covered him a bit more being that he was one the stamps coaching staff. And yeah, like I said, I think we mentioned it on earlier podcasts. I used to see him on the 4am train when I was going into my TV show and he was going out to work and I was like, okay, yeah, this guy, yeah, he he's there every morning. So <laughs> yeah. same train, same time and looking ready to go. He wasn't uh bleary eyed or anything. Like as much as I was bleary eyed and you know, I can be bleary eyed at 4am. So yeah, that, the, that Toronto win also, are they choosing, I don't, maybe you would know more about this, but are they choosing to play McLeod Bethel Thompson or That's my over? Yeah. And you can't argue with it. It's he's getting it done. They looked like they were struggling through that Hamilton game, but then it was like, okay, big play, big play. And then when they you need a drive, they were able to put together a drive. So um they're yeah, I can't argue with the results out of that one. So
1: And like they've got they're what? They're six and three? Yeah. yeah they're they're playing team. They're gonna like that's what it comes down to. I don't know what the rest of their schedule is. I, I can pull that out really quickly here. Um but unless it's, I know it's not against Calgary, so. Well, they got a week yeah. off,
0: and then they go into Montreal, which, as we mentioned, without uh, Vernon Adams Jr., that team is a question mark. Uh, yeah. Home to BC, which feels like a good game for them. Uh, and then in Ottawa, which they've already showed that they can beat Ottawa. And then they got Hamilton again. <laughs> and then yep. they got Edmonton to finish out the year. Um, the first got games in one week for Hamilton or Toronto. This team's
1: going ten and four or nine and five. That's a good. That's a good football team in the CFL. Um, yeah. So, so yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah. The the East final, I think we can pencil it in. is going to be in Toronto, and the West final is going to be in Winnipeg, and everything else is going to be um, quite lot of grabs. Yep.
1: So like, as as you know, like I enjoy a collecting my Marriott points, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like there is that part of me that's like, hey, okay, what do I want to have happen here? Do right. I, like, want to be on the road? Like, do I well, want
0: it? here's a scenario that's never been uh happened in uh Calgary Stampede or football history. Uh they've never been the crossover team. I oh, know. Uh them so Calgary at Hamilton for the crossover game. I feel good about Calgary's chances. Uh and then in Toronto, you would just you would just stay out there for a week. It'd be you'd be in your glory.
1: <laughs> yeah. right? I don't think that they would fly home,
0: right? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't fly home if you had. If you could find a place to practice, and you know, yeah. if Hamilton was accommodating after you beat them to let them practice on their field, so or
1: you go up to golf, like realistically, yeah. you just go up to golf. Well,
0: right. the the they always used to go up to. Um, well, McMaster was always welcoming for them if they had a uh, to do practices there for the week, or yeah, you could go up to Mississauga. University of Mississauga would be. It, we're just throwing out scenarios, but yeah, yeah it. Never in Stampeders history have they been the crossover team. Um, Saskatchewan and Edmonton seem to be the team that always do it. So, yeah. yeah. I like,
1: how would I? Okay. Since we always do a little bit of non straight up football talk, we got about, we got a couple minutes here.
0: How would you survive three weeks in Ontario? I'm
1: <laughs> saying hypothetically, the Stampeders <laughs> do like get the crossover. So then they're doing Hamilton win. Like, do I have to pack? How, long, what am I packing for? Like, what your, uh, what your, he? I think you
0: would bring your your um, the suit you would wear to the awards night if you had to go continuously through <laughs> to the Grey Cup,
1: right? Yeah, I guess so. Right? Like you just have to pack for three weeks because you might not be coming home.
0: Yeah, and then you should just stay out there anyway because the Grey Cup's in Hamilton. So yeah, yeah, and then I'll I'll find a way and to get out there, and then we'll we'll have a like what do you and maybe you know this, well, maybe you don't. Uh they're opening up more capacity in Ontario.
1: Yeah. Um, they'll get they'll get they'll as long as their numbers stay good, it's all gonna be prove your vaccine, they'll they'll open up more capacity. Yeah, uh sure. there are questions like from a media perspective. Um they gotta figure out a way to not do Zooms. Like, right. if they want the media coverage and they want the media there and they want the whole thing, they have to they can't do
0: Zooms. Like, well, can't they can't they do press conference setup?
1: Like yeah. But like, that means that everyone gets the same stories, right? Like yeah. great Cup is you're trying to find your unique angle and you're just, they're going to need to figure out a way to do that.
0: Yeah. like That's uh, probably a story question for another day. I, I, I'm more interested in what's the capacity is going to be at great Cup parties. Cause is it going to be worth it for me to go to this great Cup If there's no parties, if it's restricted parties, because are they going to be all outdoor? I'm going to have to buy a snowsuit because I don't own one because I don't, I'm I'm from Saskatchewan
1: I'm America, but you're not allowed to borrow it
0: yeah I'm not I'm not gonna I'm you've got a million scarves so I know I can find some scarves but yeah. uh <laughs> yeah is it gonna be all outdoor festival parties is that basically what the the plan no, will be, honestly
1: be? Don't know. um I mean look like I don't know I've been in Ontario a fair bit over the last couple of months like in when I was there in September like it doesn't feel that different from out here yeah. Okay. It's obviously a bit different, like their capacities are, are lower, but um, I mean, they're also not having the COVID cases and the ICUs and stuff that we do. So presumably it'll continue to open up. I would, I mean, I'd be shocked if they don't have, if they don't have full capacity at Tim Horton field, we're just, we're going back to Hamilton in two years for another great cop. Right. Like,
0: so yeah. And if they don't have the full festival stuff and you know, the majority of the good stuff at the you know, festival is Spirit Edmonton in Ryderville. And if though if you can't have fifteen hundred people in a room, um, with a live band and dancing and celebrating and you know, seeing all your friends that you see at Grey Cup, I don't know what makes it a Grey Cup to me. I mean Do you think
1: that the spirit of Edmonton this year will just be a dark room where people walk around and give you like handkerchiefs while you cry? <laughs>
0: The one thing I would tell you about the spirit Edmonton though, is they will, they will be all crapping all over their own team all the time and they will still be the life of the party, whether they're there or not. I, right. I love the spirit right. Edmonton guys, but yes. Yeah. There's going to be lots of crying, but they're going to be, by then, they're going to have fired everybody. Um, they're going to be excited about whoever they're going to be bringing in. So then you're, they're going to be like, yeah, Chris Jones is back. And you know, after they, Toronto finishes up its playoff run, Chris Jones will be coming back to go and Chris Jones will be ducking those questions the entire week of gray cup. Oh, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm getting excited, Danny. I wish it was a full, if we could plan on a full gray cup festival, I'd be super excited about this because it would be uh, yeah. But if we're, if all the parties are going to have to be moved outside, like into festival tents or whatever with, and everybody's huddled around heaters to stay warm. And we're using alcohol to, as our main source of warmth. It still might be good, but that's a lot of hours outside because you know how often. I will say
1: twenty Great Cup in Edmonton. I normally stop by each night for at least like forty five minutes to the Calgary party and then go and do my other stuff. Um, And they had a bunch of fire pits and it was rad. Yeah.
0: No, it was it was great. It was at the Alexander, was it in Edmonton? And they had this beautiful place out back with overlooking the city with the you know fire pits there. Yeah, and um yeah it was a it, it was a good setup but there was still an in, inside component with all the bands and everything so yeah anyway i've taken too much we, we've gone too long but i, I knew this was going to be long because we had lots to talk about and i oh, know i wish we could do longer well,
1: but i have to finish my writing and then go i got a busy night
0: okay yeah you don't need to tell me what your social calendars are I, I
1: mean, i'm not telling you i just don't need to tell what's <laughs> <the listeners. laughs>
0: exactly yeah. all right uh, until next week uh we'll that is the after the buzzer please